The U.S. is providing more military aid to Ukraine, but uncertainty looms over congressional approval for future support. There has not been any further approval of Ukrainian military aid or Ukrainian aid. So once that $5 billion runs out, the administration is going to have to find some different ways to fund Ukraine if they can. Plus, an overnight Russian drone attack comes dangerously close to one of Ukraine's nuclear plants. Damage of the administrative building at the plant and to the household building. Also, as a result of this attack, over 1,800 people have no electricity. And later in the program, a new report suggests a top Russian military official came close to being assassinated in a Ukrainian attack. Today is Wednesday, October 25th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. Three U.S. military officials tell VOA the United States is providing up to $150 million more in additional military aid for Ukraine. I spoke with VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb for details. What are you hearing, Carla? So this package is going to be the latest from the Presidential Drawdown Authority. This would be the 49th of these packages that the U.S. has made available for Ukraine. This package is going to include more rockets for their HIMARS that high-mobility artillery rocket system, not the ATACMs that they've recently had, not the long-range rockets, but the shorter-range rockets that they've been having for, for a while now. It's also going to include some munitions for the National Advanced Surface-to-Air Missile System, the NASAMs, another air defense system that they have. It's going to have anti-tank missiles, sidewinder missiles. And one thing that's interesting to note, it's also going to include one five five millimeter rounds. Those are the the rounds for the howitzers, the artillery rounds. uh, And those have been causing some concern recently because both Ukraine and Israel need that one five five millimeter rounds in their fights, in their wars, Ukraine, their war against Russia, and then Israel, its war against Hamas militants. It's interesting because we're coming at a time when Congress is at a standstill without Republicans in the House of Representatives yet to elect a speaker in order to even have any voting on the president's requested funding for Ukraine. How long can the Pentagon continue to provide this sort of aid to Ukraine without congressional approval? Well, the U.S. has provided about $44 billion in security assistance to Ukraine since the beginning of Russia's war in February 2022. They still have about $5 billion of congressionally approved funding for Ukraine military aid. But as you said, there is not a Speaker of the House right now. And as the law stands, there has not been any further approval of Ukrainian military aid or Ukrainian aid. So once that $5 billion runs out, the the administration is going to have to find some different ways to fund Ukraine if they can. We are going to see a potential vote in the House as well. The speaker that is up has said that he does not support further funding Ukraine. That could be a cause for concern for moderate Republicans. We'll just have to see how this plays out. The most recent attackums that the U.S. provided seem to be having a pretty strong impact in success for Ukraine's efforts. That's right. The Ukraine has been asking for the attackums for more than a year. Let's be clear. This is something Ukraine has wanted for a long time because it is such a critical 
nuclear weapon. And the Pentagon will tell you that there's no silver bullet that's going to win this war. Well, I've been talking to former military officers who have been saying for months and months, like, yeah, there's no silver bullet, but this could really help them out because attackums provide Ukraine the ability to hit further into Russian-controlled territory. Not only that, it allows them to keep their weapons and their people further back from the front lines to strike major targets. You don't have to go all the way up to the front where Russia can target you in order to try to hit them. It's a, I hesitate to say a game changer, but, but it definitely provides an advantage to Ukraine that they have needed for months and months. Will it be enough to push through the, the defenses and break the land bridge that they want to break between Crimea and Russia before the winter sets in? That's to be seen. That might be asking too much for Ukraine at that point, but they have taken the small number of attackums that they were given secretly, and Ukraine said that when it used them last week, they destroyed at least nine Russian helicopters, an anti-aircraft launcher, ammunition depots, all the way out in Luhansk in eastern Ukraine. So it's definitely showing its effects. VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb, thank you so much for taking the time to fill us in. Ukraine endured another night of close to a dozen Russian drone attacks. Despite being intercepted, drone debris damaged critical infrastructure near a nuclear power plant in western Ukraine. I got an update from Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. Anna, it sounds like there were some pretty serious drone attacks, and I know Ukraine was able to subvert many of them, but that didn't stop the debris and, and these attacks to having a pretty huge impact. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, well, actually, over the night, Russian uh, military launched 11 drones, Shahed drones over Ukraine. Uh, this was reported by the Ukrainian Air Defense. There is confirmation that uh, Ukrainian air forces destroyed all of those drones. However, the result of debris are quite significant. So at this point, we understand that air defense was working in the Cherkasy, Kherson, Poltava, Zhitomir, Khmelnytsky and Mykolaiv regions. So basically, we can see that almost every re- every area of Ukraine, every region uh, in terms of east, south, west uh, and uh, north were affected. And particularly, the main effect was over the Khmelnytsky region. Uh, at this point, we have confirmation from the Ministry of Energy of Ukraine that this over-the-night attack caused heats n- near the Khmelnytsky nuclear power plant and particularly the damage of the administrative building at the plant and also the household building. Also, as a result of this attack, over 1,800 people currently have no electricity because there were some also damages of the electricity lines in the Khmelnytsky region. That sounds pretty serious. And I know with winter coming, there are a lot of concerns. We've been talking about electricity and, and attacks on energy infrastructure and how Ukrainians are preparing. I understand President Zelensky is also reaching out to citizens about this very issue. Uh, well, yes, exactly. As President Zelensky had uh, a response to this latest attack, he warned Ukraine that uh, there are going to be more of such attacks by Russian forces and Ukraine should get ready to this. At the same time, he also responded to Russia saying that Ukraine will also respond. However, uh, of course, he did not provide any additional details, but he just mentioned that Ukraine already had success in Crimea and that Ukraine will continue their defense and their fight. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. We thank you so much as always. Thank you. 
And while Russia's war on Ukraine continues, much of the world has been turning its attention to the growing unrest in the Middle East following brutal attacks in Israel by Hamas militants. VOA Eastern Europe Bureau Chief Miroslava Gungadze spoke with Ivana Klimpush-Sinsadze, chair of the Parliamentary Committee on Integration of Ukraine to the EU, to find out how Ukrainians are reacting to this new world crisis. Well, definitely majority of Ukrainians, and that is important to underline, are seeing it as part of the same war that we are fighting at this, at this particular moment. Because we understand that, unfortunately, the terrorist Hamas attack on Israel is part of the axis of evil that uh, Russia and Tehran, Iran, are part of. And um, they are, you know, that that's part of the, the whole war on the truth, so to say. When some people do see abroad um, the real terrorists as freedom fighters. And uh, it's important that Ukrainians do understand what really is going on. And we are hoping that that also is going to sober up our um, colleagues in Israel in understanding also who is the real foe and who is the real friend in terms of understanding that Russia is actually not necessarily the partner that they should rely on. So you're basically agreeing with President Biden who said that it's a, it's a similar conflict and as you said, the uh, evil access. access yeah. Yeah. However, do you agree that uh, Ukrainian and Israeli support would be in the same package as President Biden asked for Congress? As far as I understand, considering all the nuances of the American politics right now, internal politics, this is a very smart approach in explaining to American public what uh, the American uh, people should stand up against uh, in supporting both Israel and Ukraine. And therefore, I do hope that this will find the uh, understanding also in the Congress and that uh, uh, this package won't be um, somehow divided. Even though we heard yesterday um, former president, or was it today, uh, President Trump saying, um, actually like calling on separation of this package and, and uh, insisting that these are totally different wars and one should be, um, you know, one ally why one partner like Israel should be supported and not necessarily Ukraine. So I hope that that will not find seed in the uh, Republican Party, among the Republican members of the party, at least in the, among the majority of those who understand the geopolitics and who understand uh, the real um, intentions of the Russian Federation in this war against Ukraine and the free world. It's not Ukraine. Ukraine is just only on the front line of this war, but not necessarily the final target of it. Are you and your colleague concerned about maybe diversion and tension from Ukrainian war at this at this time? You know, definitely we understand that when there are several priorities that is deviating a lot of attention, some resources as well, and also some accents in, in what uh, this or that government is paying attention to. And so for that matter, we do uh, worry and we do um, hope that Ukraine will not be forgotten uh, that this war in the uh, that we are brutal, absolutely bloody defensive war that we have to fight today on our own territory, that it, it won't be forgotten by American leadership and American people. And we see that President Biden is making this this particular case uh, not to forget and, and to, to respond uh, cohesively in a comprehensive manner. 
Um, so hopefully this approach won't allow for this um, for this shift of priorities and we also hear uh, positive responses um, from our partners in the EU uh, on the European continent that are trying to assure Ukraine and Ukrainians that they are uh, keeping very very high or highest on their agenda the priority of uh, continuation of supporting Ukraine. You're going to Brussels. Um, right now in Europe uh, this issue uh, of the conflict in the Middle Middle East is dividing societies, uh, specifically in Europe where we have a lot of Palestinians, immigrants, uh, we see the uh, the protest movement and so on. What are you, uh, what is the Ukrainian legislative body position on, on this issue and how are you, uh, how would you planning to kind of attract new attention from European, European partners? Well, we do see this uh, protests and we also understand that, you know, some people are actually misled by the propaganda machinery that is working, um, you know, to, to to ensure that people think that terrorists are freedom fighters, where we started. And um, that is something that is unfortunately just, just misleading the good intentions of some people, and that they, they are being used for those demonstrations. And that is a very painful part of it. Uh, but that is how the propaganda machinery work, how the information uh, type of war machinery, of hybrid war machinery is also working. So for us, it's important to talk to not only to politicians, we are going right now to, to European Parliament to our colleagues in the European Parliament but definitely also through media with the support of media also to reach out to societies in the European countries in order to continue explaining what is happening on the ground uh, it was difficult to you know to find a kind of a to, to organize or whatever the new wave of support but the priority is to ensure that we are not stuck in this level of, of support that we have as of now that we don't get the decreased support but we actually all together ensure by the explanation by the real uh, people's story human stories that we are going through uh, we ensure the increase of this support from European partners and also from the American colleagues thank you very much thank you Ivana Klimpusch-Sinsadze chair of the Parliamentary Committee on Integration of Ukraine to the EU speaking with VOA Eastern Europe Bureau Chief Miroslava Gungadze Turkey will take part in peace talks next week aimed at finding ways to end Russia's invasion of Ukraine. President Volodymyr Zelensky made the announcement last week after speaking on the phone with his Turkish counterpart Recep Tayyip Erdogan, noting that Turkey's participation will add an authoritative voice and stance to the talks. Russia is not expected to take part in the talks, which Zelensky hopes will rally support for his own peace plan. Meanwhile, there are fears of a new conflict growing as Turkey and Azerbaijan John demands a corridor through American territory after last month's forced exodus of ethnic Armenians from the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region. As Dorian Jones reports from Istanbul, Russia also supports this plan. Turkish and Azerbaijani military on Monday started three days of drills across Azerbaijan, including its autonomous region of Nakhchivan, on the border with Turkey. The drills took place after the two countries' leaders called for a 40-kilometer-long corridor through Armenian territory to connect the Azerbaijani territories. Known as the Zangazor Corridor, it's of critical importance to the two allies. 
Hussein Baja is the head of the Foreign Policy Institute, a research organization in Ankara. Armenia has to make a decision, peace for land or land for peace. Also for Turkey, very important to have this Senzegur corridor uh, open, not only uh, to connect with Azerbaijan, but also with all the Central Asian uh, countries through the Caspian Sea and uh, also through the uh, main roads that the goods of Turkey will be transported to Central Asia. Turkish-backed Azerbaijani forces last month captured a disputed region of Nagorno-Karabakh from ethnic Armenians who emptied out of the territory. Observers say the Armenian government, still reeling from taking more than 100,000 refugees, strongly opposes giving up any Armenian territory. Eric Chopian is a political consultant in Armenia. This is the red line of red lines. It will never be accepted. What they say is that let's open up all roads. It's our sovereign territory. You drive through our sovereign territory. We drive through your sovereign territory. But the roads will be controlled by us. There'll be no extra corridor. There'll be no legal corridor. Russia backs the idea of a land corridor outside Armenian control and proposes that Russian troops administer it. Armenia's government has increasingly aligned itself with Western powers as it seeks to break away from Russia's sphere of influence. Observers say Moscow sees a corridor outside Armenia's control as part of a broader strategy of circumventing international sanctions by setting up new trade routes through friendly countries, explains Russia specialist Tatiana Mitrova, a visiting professor at the Paris School of International Affairs. Russia is basically rebuilding its whole logistical network. And this corridor is potentially important part of this new network from north to south. But Tehran strongly opposes the corridor. Iran has close links with its Armenian neighbor and is a rival of Azerbaijan. Last year, Iranian forces conducted drills on Azerbaijan's border. Analysts say the proposed corridor will raise Tehran's suspicions of Azerbaijan as the Azerbaijanis threaten to cut a route using by Iran to circumvent sanctions. Galia Lindenstrauss is an analyst with the Institute for National Security Studies in Tel Aviv. If Azerbaijan gets what it wants, it will get a corridor that will be in its complete control without any of Armenia's sovereignty on it, uh, which means it basically does cut between Armenia and Iran. And we know that all sorts of things are, have been moved through the border between Iran and Armenia, and some of these things are very critical to Iran. As Turkish-Azerbaijani military exercise exercises started, Tehran hosted peace talks between Armenia and Azerbaijan Monday, with Russian and Turkish foreign ministers also attending. They gathered but apparently made little progress, and tensions continue to simmer in the region. Doreen Jones, VOA News, Istanbul. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says Russian naval assets are no longer safe in the Black Sea near Crimea. He noted recent Ukrainian attacks have denied the Russian fleet safe bases and secure maritime corridors in the western part of the Black Sea. Associated Press correspondent Karen Shamus has this report. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said that recent Ukrainian attacks have stopped Russian ships from accessing safe bases in the sea near Crimea. Denying Russia secure maritime corridors is part of the Ukrainian military's aim to squeeze Russian forces out of the Crimean Peninsula. 
Russian annexed Crimea provides support for Moscow's battlefield efforts further west in Ukraine. I'm Karen Chamas. A top Russian military official came close to being assassinated in a Ukrainian attack, according to a recent report in the Washington Post. I spoke with Thibaut Spile, a news fellow with Business Insider, who's been following this report and others like it. You just published a story referencing some reports that you've gathered together about Ukraine coming close to potentially assassinating the leader of Russia's entire military when he visited the front lines. What can you tell us about this story? Sure. Well, what is interesting about the story is that uh, this individual, so the Russian officer, is Valery Gerasimov. Uh, he is the chief of the general staff of Russia's military. So in other words, he's the leader of all of Russia's military. Um, and so Gerasimov was on the list of several top commanders that Ukraine security services were, were trying to kill, according to, to the Washington Post. And so Ukraine ordered and launched strikes against him and, and other military commanders. And almost all of them were killed in the attack, except for, for Gerasimov. Uh, that's pretty much everything we know about this particular case so far. We, we don't know when and where the attack took place. However, what we do know is that this wasn't the first time Ukraine targeted Russian military commanders or, or even officials. What do you know about some of the other potential operations that Ukraine security services took on? Well, there have been a number of reported attacks over the last two years that were all aimed at Russian war supporters. And so obviously the suspicion here is that those operations were directed by Ukrainian security services. And this was confirmed by the Washington Post. So for instance, there was a car bomb explosion on, on the outskirts of Moscow in August of last year. And so the victim here was Daria Dugina. She was a prominent war supporter and, and the daughter of Alexander Dugin, who, who is a Russian nationalist thinker who's believed to be a close ally of Vladimir Putin. Um, right after this particular attack, uh, U.S. officials even told the New York Times that they believe the attack might have been directed by, by Ukrainian government officials. And Ukraine has consistently denied uh, involvement in those attacks. The, the closest Ukraine has ever got to admitting to those covered operations was, was in May of last year. It was um, Kirill Budanov, who, who's the chief of Ukraine's military intelligence service. He told the Times of London that, that his agents were, were targeting and executing Russian propagandists who, who have supported Russia's, Russia's invasion. He even said that his agents had already successfully targeted quite a few people, but we don't know the exact number of targets or, or even killings. The, the most recent attack we know about was a missile strike on, on Russia's Black Sea Fleet headquarters in the occupied Crimean Peninsula. So that was in September. And Ukrainian fighters said that they had obtained sensitive information on, on senior Russian commanders from, from Russian officers who were upset about Moscow's delay in paying their salaries. And, and just like that, they knew the location of those top military commanders and they targeted them with a missile strike. And Ukraine claimed that more than 30 of them were killed in the attack. So basically, it's just a succession of attacks that we've seen over the last two years since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Obviously, Ukraine is gathering intelligence, whether it's its own intelligence or it may be getting help from one of its allies. But obviously, it would be gaining some insights to where these people are located from intelligence. Right. We don't know. We don't have a lot of information about this so far. It hasn't been reported yet. What we do know is that the CIA has been involved also in those efforts 
efforts to collect security intelligence information about the location of those individuals. However, they've always said that they're not involved in those attacks. That is what has been reported by by the Washington Post. But this is as far this is as, as far as it gets, basically. As you gathered all of these reports, what's your overall view of the significance and of all of this, and if it's Ukraine is potentially going to continue these efforts? Well, it says that it looks like Ukraine is going to keep conducting those attacks against Russian officials and commanders inside Russia or on the front lines, wherever they are. And one of the concerns is that basically those attacks could continue even outside of Russia or even Ukraine. These attacks on Russian officials or even top military commanders has been have been ongoing since even 2014, when actually Russia invaded Ukraine for the very first time. So it looks very likely that those attacks will continue, whether that is, you know, inside Ukraine or inside Russia, they will definitely continue. Chipos Pilet, a news fellow with Business Insider, thank you so much for being with us. And that'll do it for us today, but stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world, 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you very much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. This is the voice of America. Washington, Bob Pomposet, D.C.